Tableau! It's Loathsome Things, a horror movie podcast with your host Josh and his host John. John, what is the feeling that you're having right now? Nice! <laughs> Good! <laughs> oh my god. Um, it's good. Uh, very, very uh, jolly and giggly considering uh, what we're about to discuss. <laughs> Oh man, I, we, we could just not discuss it. <laughs> the whole time I was watching this movie, I was thinking, Josh has got to be dying, and and what he has up uh, coming up ahead is going to just bury him. <laughs> yeah, this is this is I don't know. I uh, this movie was a surprise. Very intense. Yeah, it's, uh, alright, so you say his name way better than I do. I say it like a stupid Texas guy, and when you say it, you put a little, like, European mwah in it. <laughs> so, what's the director's name, and what's the name of the movie? Ingmar Bergman. And the movie is, yeah, yeah and the movie's called The Virgin Spring from 1960. Or, also known as... As Jung Frukalen. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For you Swedes. Which is way better than the Virgin yeah, Spring. Yeah, the Virgin Spring is good. Which, which, you know, to be fair, the Virgin Spring is is the perfect title for this film. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um, it all hit me at once. I was like, Virgin Spring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of this movie has to do with uh, streams of water, and it's, uh, let's see, uh, so it's it's based on a 13th century Swedish ballad called Tors Dotrar Ichwang. <laughs> That's right. Tara's, Tara's daughter is something, I forget. A wang. That's right. Has been wanged. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Why is that funny? I don't know what. <laughs> oh, no, it's really not. <laughs> she was raped. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, so the the original ballad is this movie. Like, it, I, I went and I read the ballad, the translation of it, and it's literally just this movie, but there's three daughters instead of one mm. daughter. And then it turns out that the three goat herders are also the sons of the uh, couple of the house that their daughters oh, really? died. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So whenever I went back and rewatched this movie, I looked for clues for that, and I don't think it's in there. Or I misunderstood the ballad, yeah. but it seems pretty central to right. that. Um, but yeah, uh, and that ballad is specifically, it's this story, but more specifically, it is the ballad of why that church was built right there. <laughs> I'm going to get to that when we get to that point in the story, because, uh, wow. Yeah, I love his films. Oh. Like, every time I've seen one of his films, I've been blown away. And then, like, just starting this movie, I was like, oh, wow, there it is. There's his cinematography the way that he frames everything it's yeah. just it's right there but uh whoo the symbolism is heavy over the top and at times a little confusing yeah, that's true uh, yeah definitely um is it i didn't you know i forgot to look it up is it the cinematographer that he's notorious for working with the nyquist i think his name was 
Yeah, yeah, he's it's his like go-to cinematographer and also this is like his stable of all of his regular actors. Yeah, yeah this was before but yeah, this was kind of like the earlier crew of except for Cedow who or Von Cedow who, you know, was pretty much through his career, through Bergman's career. Yeah. And then of course went on to do uh, a shit ton of Hollywood stuff. Yeah, yeah, I wrote down some. Like, he was in What Dreams May Come, Minority Report, Rush Hour 3, Star Wars 7, The Force Awakens, and, uh, to modern viewers most notably, he was the Three-Eyed Raven in Game of Thrones. That's right, that's right. He was also in The Black Hole. Remember The Black Hole? Wasn't the he in The Disney that? Space one? Wait, was he in that? No, I think maybe... Someone, maybe whatever he's awesome <laughs> i like yeah I like yeah he guy. totally kicks ass yeah he's the, he's the guy playing uh chess with with death in the seventh seal i fucking love the seventh seal that movie is literally how i discovered the criterion collection because oh, wow. i was looking for that movie and then it was like oh it's only available as a criterion collection dvd and i was like a what <laughs> and uh, and then later I came to work at Barnes and Noble, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we have a whole section." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, other uh, other Bergman movies of note are like Through a Glass Darkly, mm -hmm. Hour of the Wolf, and Persona. All fantastic. All with like this same cast of character of actors, basically. Mm, wild strawberries. Yeah, wild strawberries. I think this was like right after Wild Strawberries. Okay, uh, that makes that makes it, sense. It, yeah, and this this is kind of like what kicked off his like darker, more horrific movies. But I would also say maybe this movie's really not a horror movie, which is fine. I don't think he he like tried to sell it as a horror movie. Right. So it's weird that we're reviewing it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's described all over the internet as a horror film, and it's I mean, it's got horrible shit, but it's it's an allegory. You know, it's not it's not really a horror film. But, you know, yeah. yeah, it certainly spawned a few. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, for our purposes, it holds a place in horror cinema history, whether or not he wanted it to be there. It had a profound impact on Wes Craven. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Wes, that movie was then remade, The Last House on the Left, and arguably remade again in France with Irreversible, but backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, God. <laughs> and possibly right up there with the most intense films I've ever seen. Whew. Yeah, so we're uh, we're in for it, you guys. Um, this movie, this is probably the, it's definitely the first and almost certainly the only time this is ever going to happen. We're reviewing a Academy Award winning film. This <laughs> yeah. won the 1961 Best Foreign Language Film at the Academy Awards. And it got the 1960 Palme d'Or at, uh, at Canis. Canis. Like Canis. Famous Canis. Yeah, it's uh, well deserved. It's a it's a wonderful film. It's a very difficult film. Uh, there's many layers to it. Uh, it can be seen in so many different ways. Uh, but as far as the experience of watching it, it's it's pretty daunting. I imagine in 1960 it must have been pretty intense. It's oh yeah, intense yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't even, like, look at that. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's some really good, uh, 
rape in cinema essays out there. Uh, I'm not sure like where this places amongst them, but it's it's wild like that this yeah. came out in 1961 or yeah. 1960. And, and and it's crazy that, you know, I mean the movie just looks so dated. It because well, for one thing it's a period piece, but it doesn't look like 1960. It looks like it was made in the 30s or 40s uh until <laughs> The story cha- changes direction, and there's no way it could have been made any earlier than 1960. I, I'm I'm amazed. I guess because in Sweden they're just more, you know, uh, they they let that kind of stuff slide more. Because if that came out in the U.S., that that wouldn't have come out in the U.S. in the 60s. No, not not in 1960. No, later 60s. Yes. Yeah, I think Sweden had a conservatization that came up later. Uh, or I could be mixing it up with, you know, like Finland or any other of those countries. I don't know. But, uh, but I mean, yeah, at this point it was, uh, it's wild. And yeah, it got censored in America. It, it got, uh, all kinds of stuff, which is, which is awesome. Like it, it has a fantastic legacy and like the one we're going to do next, the last house on the left also got censored. So it's just like, it, it definitely is the first domino of some, really intense things like a, an entire subgenre of horror films that was spawned from it in the United States. Yeah. And, and well, and around the world, I mean, there's some very, yeah. very famous Korean re- revenge films. I don't know that they're rape revenge films, but they're, they're revenge films. And I guess that doesn't really count, but the, the, yeah, like irreversible is a very similar, um, you know, in ways, very similar. And, as you know, it was make you were kind of making me think that like movies like this one, and then you know, and consequently like the Last House on the Left franchise, I guess you could say, which is weird, <laughs> um, <laughs> led to uh, you know was you know instrumental in a whole section of like transgressive films that that push the the limit, but it didn't. You know, I mean, this movie pushes the limit, but I don't think it was necessarily meant to be transgressive. I think it was, you know, it, it was just a ballsy, very expressive, symbolic film. It's, a, it's more art than it is, you know, entertainment. Um, whereas, yeah. like, Last on Last House on the Left is notorious for being extreme for its time, but it's also going to be very campy and very Wes Craven-y. And then the third one is, is just... A sheer, you know, it's it's like the ugly stepchild of of transgressive film. Like it's it's not it's not great, but it's not terrible, but it's definitely excessive. It's very extreme. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, what have we done? I know. So this is our way of celebrating the <laughs> the spring, the Virgin Spring. Nice. The oh, I didn't even think about it like that. That's pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a horror movie show, so I guess it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, if if we're going to do a spring theme, might as well really make it suck. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dig in and talk about it in great detail. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to kick us off, John? Yes, I will kick us off. Uh, our, right. our movie uh, opens with a... A servant working in a in a farm in kind of the the cooking area, I don't know, kitchen slash dining 
area. I don't know. There's hay everywhere. Um, yeah. She is pregnant, and she is filthy, dirty. She's wearing dark clothing, dark hair, dark, very dark character. Um, she's got a pretty pretty foul look on her face. She's cooking. It's a uh, very medieval setting. Um, they, we hear the cock crow outside, and then she starts humping a support pole in the room and begging for Odin, uh, calling for Odin to punish somebody. Um, we cut to a lady who I thought was a nun, but is actually just the mother of uh, <laughs> the, the character Karen, Karin, whatever, and uh, her husband is Thor. And uh, so anyways, she she's praying, her husband's there, uh, then she pours hot wax on her wrist, which was yeah. strange. Um, then we see an old uh, old lady that, that works there. I guess she's a servant. Uh, she has a, a apron skirt full of little baby chicks. And then she takes one of the chicks and uh, insults it a little bit. And then cuts into, the, cuts into the servant girl, just rips her about being lazy and doing crappy, you know, work and you know why isn't she getting the milk for breakfast and all this stuff and then the mother shows up and she and the the servant lady talk a bunch of shit about the daughter karen um who went out the night before and was dancing and it's implied <gasps> that she may well have danced with uh multiple men uh oh which is you know obviously dishonorable to this this pious family which you know their piety is pretty dubious, but um, the uh, in the meantime, Ingeri is basically mocking them and mocking Karen and making cracks about her. She's very resentful of her and probably jealous, but uh, definitely jealous. You know, she's a, a filthy servant, a filthy, dark, swarthy servant, and Karen is the beautiful young nubile blonde girl. You know, the lovely charming daughter who dances with all men okay so yeah. the husband arrives with the servants it's breakfast time everybody sits to eat tor asks about karen uh, he gets the lowdown that she was out late and she came home late and so she's sleeping in uh, he gives his wife a hard time about it and uh, then everybody fucks off and gets ready for church uh, meantime in gary the servant lady girl, whatever, grabs a toad off the floor, yeah. uh, makes a bunch of weird faces, puts it in a like a little bucket thing, and then gets out what looks like pita bread and yeah. cuts it in half and puts the toad in the bread. I think she's, it's like a curse she's doing, right? Like a pagan spell or something? I guess. that The, the toad is one of the questions I have, but yeah, that, that's, it's what I figured is it's like i feel like the toad is supposed to be like a a gift of, from odin like a, yeah. a curse gift or something yeah. but it's never explicitly said yeah you have you have the pagans versus the christians basically which is i guess was an ongoing thing in in scandinavia um you know the vikings versus christianity um but anyways yeah. uh so that's yeah it's, it's a little bit weird it's 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 not very clear to me maybe if i knew more about Swedish history and mythology that might make more sense to me. And maybe it yeah. won't. But uh, <laughs> anyways, so she makes the uh, frog pita and packs up the food for Karen, who is going to 
be sent to church for candle mass uh, where she will be uh, giving food and candles. She'll be fooding and candling at the church. Yeah. Oh, yay. Um, <laughs> it's very strange. Uh, anyways, uh, the mother goes and wakes Karen up. Uh, and uh, Karen is super spoiled. It's like, just like laying in bed and telling her mother, eh, Bring me berries with my bread instead of butter. And bring me my satiny frock. And she's like, oh, I spoil you so, you rotten child. And uh, <clears throat> it's very weird. Um, yeah. she, she brings her her really nice clothes so she helps her dress. And uh, Karen brags about all of the men that she danced with the night before. Uh, Tor arrives and uh, gives her shit up for sleeping in and not being sick. And then they... Then they all, oh, I love you. Ah, cuddle, kiss, some creepiness. Yeah, uh, it's a little, there's a little weirdness being implied there that the father might have um, more than just uh, fatherly love for his daughter. Uh, it's very disturbing. Um, Impure. Yeah, we cut to the guy that they call the professor, but as far as I know, he's just a farmhand. Well, he's a uh, he's got the the shavy top head oh, like monk a monk. Thing. Yeah, yeah. But she calls him a professor, and he really likes to wax poetic about shit. <laughs> yes, he does. He is a pontificator. He's a <laughs> ah! pon- ponce. Oh, wait a minute. That's something else. What? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Um. Anyways. <laughs> The professor is jabbering away with the uh, apron lady. In the meantime, he's talking a bunch of weird professor bullshit. Uh, Tor puts Karen on on her horse to send her off to church, while Gary just sneers a whole lot. Um, and then they take off off into the wilderness. Uh, as they they we see them arrive into this area, this clearing, and there's this creek who's like singing to them, and. Uh, it's very uncomfortable. And then they pass this really beautiful shot of them passing a lake that for about 40 seconds, I thought was the side of a warehouse. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly it was like this optical illusion. It just went, whoop. Oh, it's a lake. (laughs) Uh, They pass the lake and then they, they head over a a very, very beautiful uh, flowery set of hills up in the mountains essentially it's gorgeous at this point karen and ingery get into a tiff about boys um because karen was dancing with everyone ingery's totes preg balls and maybe <laughs> is I, I think that that farmer guy that they talked to mm-hmm. might be the dad and she doesn't like the attention that he gives to karen anyway so she implies that maybe you know, Karen throws her mouth around in places. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then Karen slaps her and then apologizes for slapping her. And then they're just not having a nice time at all until they get to a weird bridge slash house. It's basically a house built on top of a stream. And so to get across the stream without getting one's fancy dress wet, one must cross the front porch. Yeah. Of of the herage. Yeah. <laughs> One does does this. Yeah, the abode ridge. Uh, that's nothing. Nope. Um, 
But the very sight of it sends Ingrid into hysterics. She starts uh, saying that we need to go back and then starts like flinging her head back and forth against the horse. I didn't like that. Um, and so since she's freaking out, Karen's like, well, why don't you just stay here with this old bridge house man and I'll go on. And so that happens. And then it turns out that the old man who lives in the bridge house is a pagan witch. And, uh, he talks about how you can see and hear everything from this house and offers to let Ingrid see. She hears, like, clopping or whatever, and she's like, what is that? And he says, it's three dead men riding north. And he's got a really awesome, like, dead eye. Yeah, um, you know why, and then right? he, Yeah, yeah, it's... You know who it's he like is, all right? black. No, I have no idea who he is. He's Odin. He's Odin? Oh! Odin has one eye and has a uh, you know the raven that that follows him around and all that stuff. Damn, I did not catch that. So he, but he he's portrayed as I read, I think it was on Wikipedia that he's kind of portrayed as the devil in this movie in a, in a way. But it's mm-hmm. but again, it's I think it's that's kind of riffing on the Christian idea that the pagan all father would basically be evil because he's anti-christ he's he's the non-christ i guess i don't know so yeah he certainly is presented as a bad guy (laughs) yeah and ingmar loves himself some good devil guys he does he does he does love that and this guy is really gross yeah yeah he's got the worst teeth He, he that eye is real good i would just love to watch odin play chess with the devil from the seventh seal that would be that would be top notch i watch hours of that (laughs) yes they don't even have dialogue it's just (laughs) odin laughing and the devil not laughing (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah fantastic i can't believe i missed that i am wow okay um So then he shows her his box of cures and charms, which includes such hits as a dried bat or a, uh, a severed human finger. She also doesn't figure out it's Odin. And that's why it didn't help me because she's just like, you have taken human blood. You have offered a sacrifice to Odin. And he's just like, (laughs) um, And then she runs away into the woods. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the forest, Karen stumbles upon three goat herders. They tell her a sad story about how they're just some hungry orphans. And so since she's going to be late to the church anyway, she offers them her her thing of lunch with like a, a little keg of beer and loaves of bread. And they sit down in a nice sunny patch of the woods to eat there's um the the eldest of the three the one with the dirty hair uh makes crazy noises with his mouth because his tongue was cut out by quote evil men his brother the scrawny one the the middle of the three interprets for him and the youngest one who is just a wee lad of probably like eight or nine years uh never says anything um She tells them a fanciful story about how she lives in a castle and how royal her mom and dad are, how her her mother has so many keys that a servant walks behind her with her keys on a pillow, and how her dad, like, wears, like, a helmet of gold and all of this stuff. 
then they start acting weird and talking about my how white your hands are and and then she starts to get nervous realizes that this isn't a great situation and then realizes that the goats are branded with one of her neighbor's brands that and that these men obviously stole the goats um and then at this moment the the little boy drops a lo- the loaf of bread that the toad was hiding in. The toad pops out, and the very sight of the toad is what causes um, the two oldest brothers to stop everything else and rape her. Very graphically. Yeah, it was. It's hard. It's surprisingly hard. I wasn't expecting it to be as as much as it was here uh it it's quick but it is it is agony i uh, yeah yeah um, i mean there's a and there's a nine-year-old kid watching you know with you it's like yeah you become the nine-year-old like it's just it's just yeah it's brutal yeah the, she tries to get away it doesn't happen uh, we we see that the whole time this is happening, Ingeri is off in the woods. She sees it happening, and she's holding a rock in her hands that she was gonna like come up and clobber them with, but she just never does. And as it ends, we see her drop the rock, and it falls to the ground, and then rolls into the stream of water. By the way, there's streams of water everywhere. There's a stream of water running through the family's property. It just makes their land look real shit. There's a stream of water right here. And uh, when they finished, uh, Karen stands up and walks around crying until the mute brother clubs her over the head. She falls to the ground, blood leaking from her head, looks up at them, and then dies. Uh, They then steal all of the fine clothes that she was so excited about off of her body. Uh, They go through all of her things. They trounce the candles, and then they run off. While the youngest brother is racked with guilt, he can no longer eat food without vomiting. And he feels guilty, so he goes over to her body and starts to bury her, but just manages to get, like, a few handfuls of dirt onto her body before running away into the woods. Yeah, there's that there's that bit where he, like, throws a handful on her face. And, I mean, <laughs> yeah. the, the girl is amazing. Like, she didn't even flinch. And, and she just lays there with, like, dirt on her face. It's like, okay, wow. That's yeah, impressive. Good job. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice death play. Um, anyways, so back at the farm, uh, it, it's now sunrise, and the goat herders show up, and they're talking to Tor outside of his fence, uh, and they basically convince him to give them shelter because it's it's very cold and just very wintry and cold up on the mountain, which it isn't, but whatever. Um, he he lets them stay. He agrees to let them stay, and uh, they're led into the kitchen. They sit waiting for him to return. He goes off to do something, and they wait for him to return. In the meantime, the professor starts talking to... Oh, God, who is he talking to? The little boy, right? He... About the smoke? About, yeah, and, and the... And the de- they're a dead girl and all this, like... Oh, yeah, he said he saw the May Queen... Yeah. but never walk into the sun but never came back yeah he's just like going on and he says like yes uh, she was like laid there dead or something like that and they're all like oh, oh. <laughs> he's all yes there are two paths you can go by but in the long run you can change i'm sorry that's stairway to heaven my bad um yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just a spring clean for the may queen <laughs> <laughs> I'm so 
Uh, Tor- <laughs> it was good. It was good. <laughs> Tor returns. Uh, mother and father and the professor all sit at the table to eat. The brothers come join them. They eat. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of slurping. It's like a Japanese noodle house in there. Um, <laughs> the little boy is extremely troubled, very feeling very guilty. Um, and uh, it's it's a pretty awkward, kind of tense, I guess I would say very tense scene. Uh, Tor tells the, the brothers that there's work and that uh, they can discuss, you know, how, how they're to divvy out the work in the morning. But now it's time for sleepy time. And... Uh, great so they leave uh, the lady with the apron the the lady servant takes the boy tucks him into a bed with a straw match mattress that looks very uncomfortable and the worst. Uh, gives him a little talk about god and mercy and it's just just killing the kid um the other two brothers can continue eating the professor shows up once again and goes over to the boy <laughs> And this is where he tells him this chimney smoke metaphor and about crossing a bridge and terror and hands reaching up in from the water as grabbing as you cross the bridge and flames and suffering and, <laughs> you know, like maybe he's talking about hell. I mean, you know, it's hard to say. Um, yeah. Again, once again, tormenting this poor child. <laughs> to sleep. He, he actually like lullabies the kid with this horrible, horrible story. I know, it's like, what the fuck? Uh, the parents, we see the parents, they're in bed. Uh, they're stressing, particularly the mother, because Karen has not come home. Um, he He's trying to, you know, console her, but he's obviously worried too. And he says something like, you know, this isn't the first time she hasn't come home. She's just staying with whoever the fuck she's staying with. Of course she's not. Um, then all of a sudden we hear the, a scream. It sounds like the boy screaming. So the mother runs over to see what's going on. <clears throat> she gets to the, the kitchen area and the professor tells her, quote unquote, they struck the boy. Um, the the brothers say it's an owl's cry somewhere outside. She, uh, she goes to check on the boy who I thought was dead and reaches down and picks something from his mouth. I didn't. Do you know what that was? I didn't understand that. I think it was just blood. Like, I think was? she was just like, wipe. I don't know. I think, oh, yeah. Maybe I, that's what I it think was. she was just wiping some blood that had like <coughs> dripped out of his nose because they beat, beat the shit out of him while he was asleep. I don't know. Yeah. Like, like why? What the hell did he do? I don't know. Maybe he was yeah. freaking out and they tried to, who knows, whatever. They, they beat him up and he's bleeding and she recognizes something's not right. Um, and then the, uh, <clears throat> the herder, the one that, talks the talking older brother uh gets this bag and pulls out karen's dress and hands it to the mother and says that it's his sister's stuff and that she died during candle mass he offers it to her and says maybe you you know you it's torn and dirty maybe you can get it fixed uh so that it's nice again it's just like I, i'm assuming he's doing that in mockery or is he because they know where they are no, I so so the idea is that because she told them that she lived in such a big nice castle mm-hmm. that they know that, that that they don't think this is the right place because this is oh. like a, a a ramshackle mud puddle version <laughs> of like a nice castle and she was like, "Oh yes, yes, this is the the whole thing and everything's so nice where I come from. And they're like, oh, well, this obviously isn't where she came from because this place looks like shit. 
I mean, I, I, it's kind of implied at the beginning that that you know Tor is is wealthy, like he's considered wealthy for the time period. But I don't think he, he would be considered wealthy because you know even then, uh, you know the 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 real higher ups were not sleeping on beds made of hay. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a noble. I just don't think he's like you know yeah the king or whatever. Yeah, yeah, he he might be a a viscount and yeah. not a duke. <laughs> viscount Tara. Um yeah, so anyways, this guy gives her the dress, this whole thing. She's clearly horrified because she recognizes the dress and says yeah. that she'll take the 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 clothes, all the items that the guy hands to her, and she'll bring them to Tor. <clears throat> and then she goes outside and has a little cry and then right in the middle of the cry she stops and has a ding moment like i expected to see a light bulb over her head and uh <laughs> she grabs the bar and bars the the door closed which is like why would you have a bar set up on the outside of your kitchen door what would yeah. you it, it, i didn't understand that but whatever so she bars them in and now they're stuck in there um <clears throat> turns out they're sleeping i was because at the time i'm like did they not hear her well, I guess they just, they weren't sleeping yet. I guess they just didn't hear her. So whatever. Yeah, this movie's weird. Because when we get back around to that bar, there's going to be a whole lot of stuff around, like, unbarring it quietly. And it does not matter. No. And, and you know, I watched it with my daughter, and which, yeah, that was intense. Woo! And uh, we were we were talking about the symbolism there. And it's like, well, okay, this, not the symbolism of the that scene, but I mean, just the that the film is basically kind of presented as like a fable or an allegory. So when he comes, wa and also it was 1960, so when they come prancing into the room, which I'm about to talk about, they make yeah. so much noise. It's like, you know, in today's, a today's audience wouldn't accept that. It would be like, what are you doing, dude? So anyway, so she has an idea. She she has got an inspiration. Um, and uh, she, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, let's see where am I? She goes and tells Tor what's going on now that she's locked these guys in there. Shows him the bloody dress. Uh, he's obviously upset. He gets dressed and grabs a huge sword off the wall and bolts out or hurries out sort of nonchalantly. And um, meanwhile, Ingeri is watching him as he's he's going on the stairs. She's under the stairs. He sees her, grabs her, and she immediately confesses uh, that she was praying to Odin for what happened, that to, to punish the girl in, when she entered the woods and, you know, describes everything, the rape, the clubbing, uh, because she was watching, which she also tells yeah. him. And he very soberly just kind of tells her to draw him a warm bath uh, with birch. And then he goes out and finds a, a birch tree and um, basically gets into a fight with the tree and wins and cuts off some birch branches. It's very strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does like a whole Don Quixote with a birch tree. <laughs> he does. I liked your description. What was it that you said? He defeats an entire tree. <laughs> yeah, single. He just barehanded annihilates a tree with his body. 
<laughs> and then what happened? What follows is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and it's the same tree from earlier. So whenever the two girls left, that was mm. him singing to them, and he was singing to them as he watched up to wa- walked up to the birch tree. So so then she he's got she's made him a hot bath, which is a basically a a. Uh, a barrel of hot water and that he's standing in front of naked and he just dips the birch branches in there like queso and then just starts slapping his body with them just like really getting after it you know like scrubbing that space between the thigh and his testicles with them and it looks like he's going to town yeah it looks like flagellation but apparently you know i i watched a a show the other day some sort of show about scandinavia or whatever and this guy accompanies these dudes into like a sauna and then when they're then while they're in the sauna they beat themselves with branches so i guess that's like a it's to like reinvigorate themselves and they think that the leaves Uh have medicinal properties or something so that's what he's doing but i mean obviously he's also flagellating (laughs) yeah yeah it's like part baptism part self-flagellation part Ooh, this makes my skin feel tingly (laughs) it's so weird looking it's just like and now i shall dip this branch in hot water and whip the living shit out of myself with it yeah and she's just like standing there like watching him do this she's just like "Eh, what are you gonna do you gotta take a bath Eh, men (laughs) uh and uh then he 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 has Ingery fetch his biggest, most pagany knife. Like the the knife is more handle than blade, and it's it 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 has the same like carved motif on the handle as the chair that he's been sitting in and the chair that Odin's been sitting in. So we definitely get the idea that this this house that he's in isn't like a Christian built house. Like this was obviously the the long house of a of a pagan landowner that then was, you know, taken over by the Catholics. They're so Catholic. Oh my God. Um <laughs> And, uh, and then he goes, he, he takes the knife, uh, and he and, and Maretta do that stupid thing where they unbar the door, like being all sneaky, like, ooh, ooh, don't make us squeaky, ooh, ooh. And then they sneak into the long hall where the three brothers are sleeping, and he rummages through their bags, which were actually Karen's bags, finds all of Karen's things in there, and then he goes up to sit at his table and he like sh- like stabs the table with his knife. None of this wakes them up. No. He just is like in there hanging out, him and Moretta on opposite sides of the hall. And then he's like, all right, well, they're not waking up. So then he goes and, and he attacks them. Uh, he uh, defeats the mute brother in a stab battle on the throne. And so then, then the mute brother is like Jesus style stabbed on the throne. Meanwhile, the, the scrawny talky brother is like bouncing around and tries to like climb out of the ceiling through the like pole that they use to open the ceiling and uh and then uh fucking tor pulls him down shoves him into the fire and holds him down to death it's amazing <laughs> it's super intense for this kind of a era of movie it's the 
closest uh, to a really good like horror scene that we get mm-hmm. in here, other than you know, it's, yeah. And um, uh, then while then the little boy runs to Maretta. And she's like, no, not him, not him. But no, Tor like grabs him and does like a world wrestling, picks the kid up over his head and just throws him across the room to death. And now, now his eyes have gotten black from holding the guy over the over the fire, and he starts getting all looking at his hands and saying, "God forgive me." Um, and then that scene is over, and now Angry is leading the entire household through the forest to Karen's body. On the way there, Maretta confesses it's her fault for loving Karen more than she loves God, and for being jealous that Karen loved Tor more than herself. She wanted to be Karen's favorite, but instead Tor was Karen's favorite. Mm-hmm. We saw a little bit of that. Then they find her body. There is weeping. There is the brushing off of dirt. Uh, and then Tor prays uh, an I don't understand you prayer to God. And then in he explains that he doesn't know what to do, how to do anything that isn't just doing things through his own two hands. So then he realizes, aha, I found the solution. So he promises God he's going to build a church on this very spot with these two hands. And it's not going to be made out of wood or mud or shit. It's going to be made out of limestone and mortar. And, And then they pick up Karen's body and a, I love this by the way, a spring wells up out of the ground at the spot where her body had been laying. And then uh, Angry like picks it up and starts washing her face from the water. The mom picks it up and starts washing uh, Karen's face with the water. And then it's just a very, very Bergmanian tableau of people having a think about a situation. Movie over. Yeah, that was uh, pretty impressive. Yes. Yeah. Uh, very nice. Uh, yeah. I yeah. I I just would like to point out that I found it hilarious that Tor decides that he is going to build a super church on the site yeah. of his daughter's rape and clubbing death. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, maybe maybe that's not a great site. I'm just saying. But yeah. he, you know, he wants absolution. He he wants uh, you know he wants to be forgiven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, that's what I like about it is it's very obviously not for God. It's for him. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the ultimate fuck you to the goat herders. I'm gonna build a church right where you murdered my daughter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Way more of a fuck you than killy, killy, killing them to death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god Whee! yeah yeah Man. what a film um wow it was great i loved it yeah yeah i mean uh, like it was it was agonizing at points yeah. but it was it was superb all the way through we we talk about movies that don't hold your hand this is a movie that not only does it not hold your hand but it's not even pointing what direction you should go there is stuff in here where i'm like 
what what the fuck is that what is going on like the toad like you mm-hmm. can pick it up but i only was able to pick it up like the third time i watched it i was like all right now this time i'm gonna figure out what that toad is yeah i kept rewinding the toad scene because i was <laughs> i was trying to figure out what was going on i first of all that when she first picked it up i thought it was a bird and then it, then a, a toad starts climbing and i'm like wait she turned a bird into a toad and my dad was like, no, I think he picked, she picked up a toad to begin with. So we kept going back. And then we're like, what, what is going on? Why is she making a toad pita? <laughs> toad pockets! <laughs> toad pockets! And why does the not, why does the knife make a grinding noise when she sticks it in the bread? I'm like, what the hell kind yeah, of bread is be, that? That's some rough-ass bread. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> The sound effects in this movie are terrible. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The water sound is, I mean, I understand that that water is obviously important in the movie. It's called the Virgin Spring, for fuck's sake. But um, there's there's a scene where, I think it's it's one of the scenes when Ingeri is, like, running across the little babbling brook or whatever. And it sounds like somebody is slapping a bathtub with, like, just... Like, just this shitty like paper thin sound effect that's right up in your face it's like she's like 40 feet away why does it sound like she's like my head is right next to her feet it's it's and then they're there's when the girls are riding their horses and they're going through the meadow and and like you hear you hear one like coconut clop sound yeah. <laughs> like they're just like walking along all of a sudden you hear and i'm like oh no 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 i'm not gonna do this <laughs> Yeah, the the sound effects are terrible in this movie. I, yeah. I have to say, yeah, yeah. If you if you're paying attention, like, yeah, this is not one for the headphones. This is definitely no. one to just watch on the TV. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. uh, yeah, you don't need to see it with the headphones. I mean, yeah. the, the 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 version that I saw was pristine. It looks beautiful, you know. But the uh, version spring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Well, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, like rating wise, what uh, what saith the may mayhaps? I don't know. Don't take this the wrong way. Right. I gave it a three point three out of five. Loathsome things, loathsome things. Not as a movie. Right. As a movie, right. this is close to, if not a, a, a total five. Exactly. As a loathsome thing, it's not there. It's not a horror movie. And one of no. my categories is: is it a horror movie? I while I appreciated the masterful cinema of it, the enjoyability factor, which there's a whole one of the five categories is did I enjoy it? Woo, that's not there. Uh, <laughs> like I appreciated it, but I did not enjoy it. So it lost some points. It had full full marks for uh, like exquisite movie making, full marks for its historical and artistic place in in the horror genre, but it's just uh it, it was it's just not loathsome thingsy enough. So yeah, that's uh, true. Three point three out of five for me. What about I, you, John? I, I did the I did the exact same thing. I gave it for, for loathsome things, I gave it my regular loathsome things same thing. I rated it based on those criteria. Um Real world, as far as real world movie, I, I just I think it's such a great film and such an important film that I'm just going to go ahead and give it a five. In the world of film, in my experience as a film fan, I it's a five for me. 
Yeah. Um, for a loathsome things, I rated it higher than you. I gave it a four point one four, but I I what I did is I gave it like right down the line for you know is it horror or scary just because. I didn't want to like count it too low and have it be too low in the ratings because it's not a horror film. It's not, but I didn't want it's to count not. it against it. Um, yeah. So I just went, I gave it an average, you know, same thing with uh, effects. There are no effects. So I didn't, you know, uh, the, the, well, I guess the fire thing, that was kind of cool. Um, and, and the spring, the, uh, the, yeah, but, I actually, mean, like, yes. Yeah. Like that was, they, they did such a good job on just like having that water well up. Cause even there's like a moment where you're like, wait, what's happening? What's happening right there? And then you're like, yeah. Oh, it's water. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that scene surprised me. I, w- I was not expecting it. And it was such a great idea that it was just like, Oh, kudos to whatever the <laughs> hell you're doing. This is great. <laughs> And, and yes. then it was so funny. We were watching the movie and I, as soon as they were done, it's like, all right, I'm going to go have a smoke. I'll be right back. And I open the door and I go outside and I'm like, oh, and I stick my head back in the door and go, virgin spring. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, dad. I know. It's just like, oh my God. <sighs> I'm an idiot. Um, so yeah, that's, I, so I basically, I gave, you know, I, I looked at a couple of the criteria maybe a little bit differently, but I gave it full marks for, Atmosphere, setting, writing, acting. Um, I did. I I did enjoy the film. Of of course, I don't enjoy, you know, the the thematic elements. But I also recognize that it's a film, and it helps for me to separate it and tell myself that it's an allegory. Um, yeah, that does because help. As a, yes, as a straight narrative, it's a very very bleak film, um, and you know that's a film that would if it was made today. You know, as a brand new film, it, it wasn't, you know, a remake of any kind. It would be extremely dark, you know, or I could see it being done extremely dark. So dark that it would be too much, I think. Um, yeah. For me, you know, whereas I think, you know, it wouldn't be winning, you know, Palme d'Or or any of that shit. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, the, yeah. The, yeah. But anyways, yeah. yeah. So I gave it a 4.14. Nice. That is a 7.44 out of 10 loathsome things. That that feels about right. Like we said, it's much better of a, a straight-up cinema mm-hmm. than a loathsome thing. Like, th- this is this is top-of-the-class filmmaking. Yeah. So if, uh, if what you want is to appreciate a fine piece of filmmaking with some really troubling artistic representations of rape in cinema... This is probably your go-to. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, it's very much cinema as opposed to a movie. And, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of horror fans that uh, don't like stuff like this. You know, it's, it just doesn't appeal to them. Um, they, they want, you know, the schlocky stuff and the gore and the, you know, there's, there's, of course, you know, like any other subgenre, there's all these little micro genres in there and there's people that only like those specific things you know so obviously this movie's not going to work for you know all kinds of different people but and it's also very slow paced i mean it's it was made in, oh yeah you know and in, in the early 60s it's just it's just the aesthetics are just so different um but as far as like you know being a film fan and all that kind of stuff obviously its place in cinema is you know is inarguable but it's also um it's just a fine film. I mean, it's just, it's very, very well made. And 
you know, if you look close enough, you see so much. It's kind of like Citizen Kane. Like, you watch Citizen Kane and you're just like, wow, th- this movie basically spawned the entire modern era of cinema. I mean, it literally did. I never... People would say that and I thought it was just, you know, rhetoric because they they had such admiration for the film. But then you watch it and you're like, oh, no, no, this movie directly influence like that kind of shot that's the first time i've ever seen a shot like that and you see it in hollywood all the time certain camera angles certain lighting you know it just you never saw it before. i never saw it before except maybe maybe the expressionists you know like the cabinet of dr calgary and stuff where they're they're real but that's experimental you know yeah. and, but movies like this are just just straight up art like these guys are visionaries really i mean they're you know they're they're unafraid to make the exact movie they want to make and they really don't give a shit uh, what anyone else thinks which is great yeah <laughs> i love yeah. it i need to go back and and watch citizen kane again the last time i watched it i was very young uh well i was i was stupid stupid youth young and drunk and bored out of my mind and i didn't even finish watching it so I need to go back now that I've actually like watched movies for real and and give it a give it a go. Also, I, uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari also bored me out of my mind. Really? Wow. Around yeah. the same well, time, yeah. Well, that's yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, I I intentionally avoided I when I would as I was growing up and I had heard about things that were supposedly great, you know, I would usually try to avoid those things because my experience was always, I hate this shit. Why do people like this? You yeah. know, and like, why, like I read, I would read, like say Bruce Springsteen, I'd read about how great his live performances was and <laughs> were and how he, you know, was the greatest rock and roll band. And then I, I listen to one of his records and just feel like, what? You know, like, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? It's like middle of the road dad rock, you know? Yeah, so yeah. Like, so what if he plays four hours, you know? But then, you know, at, over time, I actually put more effort into his stuff. You know, I saw one of his concerts on TV, and I, I suddenly it just clicked. And I was like, oh, this stuff is really, really good. I, I totally understand <laughs> what they're saying. And so there were certain things that I put off for a long time, like Citizen Kane. You know, it was like, I'm not going to watch this movie until I'm ready, because I know I'm going to fucking hate it. You know, I knew I would. And... I went through this phase in the 90s where I was like running videos constantly. You know, I lived right around the corner from a video store. So every day, and I lived alone. So every day I would just rent like two or three movies and go watch. And I watched anything I could think of that I, w- I had been afraid of before. So Citizen Kane was one of those. And I mean, that movie completely blew me away at that point. And I'm nice. like, oh, I'm so glad I waited because now this is amazing. And yeah. I don't know if it's because I'm a moron and I'm, I'm a little slow or I'm stubborn or what it is, but, you know, I, I, there's things now that I come into that I've known about my whole life that I always thought was shit. And now it hits me totally different, you know, like it's like I wasn't ready for it. Now I'm ready for it kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. Anyways. God, I hope I never get to that point with the movie Inception because that movie can like eat all of the asses. I fucking hate that movie. I hate that movie so much. And, and you know we're we're in the middle of watching Oppenheimer, which is available oh, on Peacock for free or whatever. And I mean, I think we got halfway through, and I was just like, I don't want to watch this anymore. Like, I, it, 
I'm going to finish it, but I needed a break because it, it, it kind of just sucked. I don't know. Yeah, every time I look at it, I just like see his face and I see all of the marketing around it. And then they're like, and it's three hours long. And I'm like, oh, I do not care. I don't I care. Mean, the first the first 90 minutes are very much 90 minutes. And like you feel every fucking minute. And it's Jeez. just like boom, 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 boom. Like fast talk, quick scenes, lots of editing, you know, not like action, but a lot going on and it's it's too much and Killian Murphy or silly Killian Murphy is a really good actor but he's also extremely like weird to me he's real stiff and awkward and he Oppenheimer was not considered like a, an awesome dude like he was kind of considered a dick yeah and he plays him like a dick and it's like a three hour movie about a dick who <laughs> coordinated uh uh, you know, who coordinated the creation of a weapon that could annihilate humanity, make the world unlivable. And it's like so celebratory and look how smart all these people are. And it's just like the ultimate expression of white European male hubris. It's like, I fucking hate all of these people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Warner Heisenberg, douchebag. <laughs> uh, Godel, absolute cool um einstein dickhead i mean it was just it was amazing <laughs> now you're kind of making it sound good <laughs> everybody was an asshole if it was like a james franco and seth rogan movie like that would be great there was stuff in there because i because i read richard rose's the making of the atomic bomb which is fucking incredible richard rhodes um that's that's one of the best books I've ever read, nonfiction. But uh, it goes into you know everything that you would want to know. I know this is based on a book as well, and I'm sure the book is good because yeah. it's talking about the real people instead of these actors' portrayals. And you know, I mean, it's it's incredibly well made, but I fucking hated it. I don't know. I don't know. It made me it it made me resent you know white people even more than I already do. <laughs> yeah. I don't need uh, to. I'm I'm already there. Yeah, yeah. We're already there. I just uh I so random connection there. I just watched uh, a show called Reese Darby in Japan. It's just Reese Darby the the actor mm-hmm. and uh and it's it's all comedic but then randomly he goes to the uh the dome of Hiroshima, like the place w- that was directly underneath mm-hmm. the explosion. Yeah. Yeah, and a lady zero. there. Yeah, a lady was talking about how, you know, it was detonated so high up in the gra- uh, in the air and that people on the ground level started to get hot and so mm-hmm. and then the the heat just kept building and building and so they went into the river and that's why whenever they went back to recover people there were just all of the bodies were in the river and i was just like oh my god i'm dead this is just horrific boiled alive oh my god yeah so it's there's beyond that. horrific yeah there's yeah. there's so there's some books that cover, you know, based on eyewitness accounts and stuff, what happened minute by minute. And it's just like, we are, I mean, like the whole I am become, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, uh, the goddess death. of death or, yeah, yeah. I, I am become death. It's like, dude, you, you guys suck so yeah. hard. You know? <laughs> I know. 
And like, you got to give credit to Einstein because he was just like, why are you guys doing this? I mean, what is yeah. the purpose? You're, you know, and they're like, well, because of the science. And I mean, I know he was not, you know, he did not believe in quantum physics. He went, he took that to his grave and he was wrong about it. But at the same time, he was dead right about the bomb. It should have never been made. Yeah. But, you know, people just can't resist, man. They just, it's like ugh, the resources that went into that. And like, just, just the story of how they acquired that much uranium is insane. Yeah. I mean, but anyways, yeah. Or how about the fact that it didn't need to happen? Like, like at all. The Japanese military had already offered surrender. <laughs> it was it was already there and it was just it was bullshit. We blew we 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 committed the mo some of the most heinous war crimes for bullshit. Oh, I'm so angry. I'm sorry. Um we did it twice. That's what kills me. We twice the one on, on Hiroshima and we were like, yeah, that's pretty intense. But this one's a lot more powerful. Let's take it to their industrial center, Nagasaki, and blow the living fucking daylights out of that one with a bomb that had, was megatons bigger than the first one. Or so. Oh, my Ugh. God. It was horrible. <laughs> so we have that to look forward to in the movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't hate these people enough. I know what's coming because I've already read about it, like, in great yeah. detail. I'm just like, uh yeah, I don't like these people at all. <laughs> yeah, I will say this for uh, for what's his nut Christopher Nolan. He knows how to make you not want to watch a movie, even though you know what's happening. I tried to rewatch Memento, and I was like, oh, "Fuck all of this! This is terrible." I hate Memento. It's so bad. It's one of it was okay the first time if you didn't know what was going on, but like trying yeah. to rewatch it, it's like, no, you can go fuck yourself. This is dumb. I mean, there's just too much Joey Pants going on in that movie. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, what's weird is for whatever reason, because I know it's a piece of shit. I love Interstellar. I have no idea why. I, what? <laughs> I have no idea why because everything else of his. I, I mean, I like. I guess I'm okay with the Batman movies. Uh, yeah. But whatever. Um, and 19. What was it? 17. Is that? 1917 or whatever the world war one movie he made was that him that made that it was wasn't it oh i don't know is that the one where it's like one long shot of those dudes yeah like running it, the thing yeah yeah that's that was a good movie that was really good but like tenet I, tenet looks so bad i won't even watch it i haven't watched it either they like tried to sell it so hard they're like look it's a christopher nolan movie and you're locked inside your house watch it we haven't told you anything else about it and it looks dumb. Did he make uh, the the like Hollywood version of uh, oh god, what was it with Pacino and Robin Williams, and they're up in like Alaska, and it's like you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, twenty four uh, hours of sunlight, and one is a killer and one is a detective hunting him down. Yeah, it's uh, Insomnia. Oh, Insomnia, yeah, which is a remake of a kick ass Swedish film. Nice. And I watched the remake, and I'm pretty sure that's Nolan. And I was just like, I fucking hate this movie. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. He's so also directing Beetlejuice 2. No. <laughs> just kidding. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, is he pulling a David Gordon Green? <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? 
and he just no. he's just doing the worst movies from now on. He's just he's just a franchise killer, just like David yeah. Gordon Green. Yeah, it's like well, let's see, I I. I had to. I had to take. It, had, it took me three movies to ruin Halloween, but I think I can do The Exorcist in one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Check it out. Everybody's freaked out about Reagan, right? What if? Hold on. What if there's two of them? Like, oh, oh yeah. Fuck you. Oh, and make it interracial because that's even better. Neat. Oh, oh my god. Oh. Neat. <laughs> Exquisite callback, sir. Uh, wow. Speaking of calling back, do you want to call back to any movies that the uh, the audience hasn't heard you talk about that you watched recently, or non movie other things? Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't. I haven't seen any horror films. I, it's it's been a little slim pickings for me as far as. I don't know what, you know, you go through lulls, I think, and I'm just going through a lull with horror film. And I never, there is no lull for me with the audiobooks just because they're, as long as I have a job I'm at that place, I'm going to be listening to audio, audiobooks. So right now I'm chewing through uh, Alan Moore's Jerusalem. I think I mentioned last time, 61 hours long. I have 15 hours to go. And uh, I just got through the, chapter which is about an hour and a half of james joyce style one sentence with puns and innuendo and you know it's just like man this book is incredibly well written and it's just too long there's too much packed into it even though it's incredibly well written it's just too much i mean 61 hours is it's an audiobook but yeah 61 hours is just obscene it's just there's no reason for it. It does not need to be that long. Um, God bless him for taking 10 years to write it, but he didn't have to put it out. It, it would have been a great, maybe, you know, 300-page novel where he really got to the point and had maybe a couple pages of, of these crazy flighty ideas that he has. Uh, but 61 Hours just beats you to death. So anyways, yeah, I've been listening to that. Um, I finished, uh, there was something else that I finished. What, what about you? What, what have you been watching? I watched a weird 1970s movie called The Premonition, and it's basically like a hmm. supernatural retelling of The Man Who Knew Too Much, but oh, with okay. like like psychic visions and uh, uh, a woman and uh, a couple's adopted daughter is taken by a supernaturalist and her completely demented boyfriend Hmm. and then the boyfriend kills the supernaturalist and so the ghost of the supernaturalist gives psychic dreams to the mother to show her how to get her daughter back but uh but it was good it's worth watching and it's on like free streaming services and i also at your behest watched dark harvest and that movie kicks so much fucking oh, ass that's the one yeah i knew there yeah. was one yeah yeah dark harvest was great and man i i went and read stuff online and and man i mean there's people who really enjoyed it but most people didn't like it which i didn't I, understand i mean i could i could see that it's a that. horror film yeah <laughs> I don't know. I 
I don't trust the movie. I feel like if I watched it like for real and analyzed yeah. it, I would probably be like, "Oh, this guy's a Trump supporter." <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I mean, didn't. it's paper, it's paper thin for sure. You know. Oh yeah. Um, but honestly, I like the movie more than the fucking book it's based on. Nice. I, I couldn't get into the book really. I finished it and I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, Children of the Corn, but with Pumpkinhead in it." Okay, great. Yeah, it's way better than Children of the Corn. <laughs> yeah, and then I watched it in the movie, and it's like, yeah. oh, a bunch of greasers in some weird town that's like stuck in its own reality, and this horrible recurring cycle of evil, and the way that it's explained and stuff. And I was like, this is great, and it's violent as shit. It's it was yeah. fantastic. It's amazing, and like, I. I was real skeptical all up into the minute that they, at the very beginning, when they kill the pumpkin head guy and then rip its body open and start eating candy bars that are hidden inside of it. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're here. Let's go for the rest of it. Because it just yeah, people gets were, better. People like, of course, on Reddit, but people on Reddit were upset about, you know, the plot holes and the, the, the how illogical it was. And I'm just like. Are you fucking shitting me right now? Like, illogical? Like, you know, like, what do you think, Nightmare on Elm Street is illogical? You know, like, it's a fucking horror movie. What do you expect? Like, somebody was upset because there's a scene where he go that all these kids are hiding in a bomb shelter, and he rips the door off, and you see him slowly go down into the bomb shelter, and you hear a bunch of screaming, and then this explosion of blood just bursts out of the bomb shelter. It was great. And some guy's like, that was so unrealistic. And I'm like, what? <laughs> which part? <laughs> I love that Reddit is just the place that all white guys go to to express their worst ideas. <laughs> <laughs> they, get, they get upset about the dumbest shit. It's amazing. They, they were mad because... Like these kids are locked in their bedrooms for two days, and then they come out, and they're so ravenous that they they're killing things, and 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 it's like, dude, calm down. It's a fucking movie. Like, you're taking it way too seriously. Is it's it's a movie. It. I thought it was a lot of fun. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I I loved it. Like at what at like there were little moments where I would get like. I don't think I like that. But then I was like, oh, no, actually, that's that's pretty fucking tight. Like, whenever his, his pumpkin-y head gets all glowy, I was like, man, I'm angry that it's a pumpkin. And then I was like, actually, that looks really fucking cool. I like that. That scene, now. yeah, that scene was really cool. It had it had some, I mean, it's, it's a very stylized film, um, you know, so it's got a lot of visual style. It, as I said, it, it's pretty thin, and it does have a lot of plot holes, so I guess... You don't want to analyze it too closely, but it's not that kind of film either. And a lot of people had a hard time with that sheriff guy, which I'll be, to yeah. be fair, that guy, that guy's really annoying. But he was also a car, kind of a cartoon character. He was, he was playing it that way on purpose. It's not like he was trying to be a real person. It, there's, there's a lot of humor in the movie, I think, that people maybe overlook. But I don't know. I thought yeah. that movie was kick-ass. I was really glad to see it. Yeah, it it reminds me like it's in a class of movies with like um Teeth and Edward Scissorhands where it's 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 all the way over into this other space of unrealness that yeah. you you don't you don't have to take everything at at one to one. There's a fantasy element 
there for sure. Yeah, yeah, because like it's it's they're like it's obviously the modern day, but they're like stuck in the 1950s, and we don't get a expression of why that is or or what that is, and it doesn't matter. Like you, but I would say if we reviewed it, we would probably come away and be like, all right, here's a list of problems, but you know, oh, I don't think we need it. to. We probably rip it apart. Yeah, but, yeah, but we don't need to. There's no call for it. <laughs> uh, speaking of no call for it and ripping things apart, you can join us in two weeks as we finally dive into Wes Craven's Last House on the Left, 1972. It's going to be a lot of fun, you guys. Yeah, a movie I've avoided my whole life because I didn't want to see a girl get violently raped. Um, yeah. And now gonna... we're going to do it three times in a month. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to watch this one with your daughter? No. <laughs> no, she's pretty savvy when it comes to movies, but no. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess so. Eh, you know, as as always, I'm sorry that you have to uh, not go to Uppsala. <laughs>